Hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life Church. Uh, we're so glad you're here to join us today. Uh, you know, um, there's an old movie, A Charlie Brown Christmas, and in this movie, if you haven't seen it, it was, I don't know when it came out, before I was born, but um, Charlie, Charlie Brown, he spends a whole movie trying to figure out uh, what the meaning of Christmas is, and he is frustrated at the commercialization of, uh, that Christmas had become and at the end of the movie, you know, Charlie Brown says, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And then Linus, in, in, this, uh, in this scene, who's Charlie Brown's friend, uh, the kid who's always sucking his thumb, and he goes, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And then he recites from the Bible, he recites Luke 2, 8 through 14, and it's, that happens to be our passage for today. And so I'm just going to read it, and then, uh, and then we'll pray and then we'll dive in, all right? So this is Luke 2, 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this time, this chance you've given us to uh, hang out, to worship you, to encounter you, experience you, and to fellowship with one another. Uh, we thank you for the story of Christmas. And we pray that uh, for those of us who uh, sometimes are so caught in the commercialization of Christmas and so tempted by worldly views of Christmas, we would be able to step back today and experience Christmas afresh, the way you understand it, the way you see it. Uh, thank you for the birth of Jesus and how that has radically transformed our lives and our whole world. We're faithless in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in this sermon series. It's called The First Christmas Carols. And uh, we are going through some of the songs that are found in Luke. Uh, and uh, we went through the song of Mary, the song of Zechariah. And today we're talking about the song of the angels, which is by far the shortest song. Um, and even though it's short, it's packed with significance. Uh, but to help us understand a little bit of why the song is so significant, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the context, the setting of the song. Uh, the significance of them appearing to shepherds at the time that Jesus was born, and then we'll tie into the actual song. J.I. Packer, um, he writes this in his book, Knowing, Knowing God. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. Now, the incarnation, this is a theological term if you're not familiar, and refers to Jesus becoming flesh. Okay, carne means meat or flesh, and so the idea is that Jesus is entering into the flesh with us. And uh, it's a wild concept. I mean, if, if you grow up in church, we sort of are so familiar with this idea that sometimes we forget how wild this thing is. Um, but J.I. Packer, he actually makes a case that if you think about the major miracles of history, creation, and uh, resurrection, and all that, he would say incarnation is the grandest of them all. 
the idea that God himself would become like a created being, like a human being, like one of us, become finite and become limited. And uh, what's even more astounding about this Christmas story is that God does, uh, Jesus doesn't just become a human being, but he becomes a very specific kind of human being. He wasn't born like the son of the Roman emperor. He was born to marry a poor Jewish woman living under Roman occupation. That was the setting in which Jesus chose to be born. And I think this humble birth of the heavenly king is uh, contrasted with the exalted figure of the earthly king at the time of Caesar Augustus. Let's read Luke 2, uh, verse 1. This is the start of the chapter. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And so here, I think this is so ironic. You have this earthly king, Caesar Augustus, uh, ruler of the largest empire on earth at the time, so powerful that he just wants to know how powerful he is. Okay, and so he takes a census to try to see how many minions he has, basically. And, and, and so you have Jesus, who's basically a number, a statistic, within the census, and then almost like a pawn in the empire. You know, and the, the emperors of Rome, they were pretty conceited back then. Uh, they thought they were uh, much better than everybody else. And so, and this isn't mentioned in the Bible, but secular historians, they also talk about how several years before the birth of Jesus, Caesar Augustus, he actually changed the new year. He changed the whole calendar system for the Roman Empire. And what he did was he issued a decree. Everyone had to change the calendar so that the new year fell on his birthday. Okay, his birthday was uh, September 23rd. And in this decree, this is really fascinating, in this decree, which was written several years before the birth of Jesus, it was declared that Caesar Augustus was the savior and his birth was to signal, quote, the beginning of good news for the world. So, so that's... That is what was in this decree. And so back then, the Roman emperors, they, you know, they, that's just how they thought of themselves. They just thought they were grand and uh, glorious and majestic and awesome. And, and it's fascinating then that the, the Gospels, they use the same exact language to apply to Jesus. But the difference is that whereas Caesar Augustus, he is famous and wealthy and powerful, Jesus was poor. And when he was born, almost nobody even knew. The real Savior was born without recognition. There was no invite list. There was no parade, no big feast. The authorities of the Roman Empire didn't even realize that Jesus was born. They were too busy conducting this national census. And Jesus, he was just a number. He was just one of tens of millions of people. But that was the path that God shows, that Jesus was born without recognition. And on top of that, Jesus was born without wealth. This is Luke 2, 5 through 7, uh, 6 through 7, sorry. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth, Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, uh, you're probably familiar with this, but uh, mangers at the time, they were not typically used as beds, okay? It's not just like back in the Hodunk days, that's just what they did, okay? This was, they only did this because there was literally no place for Jesus to sleep. And this is a demonstration of just how poor and how not socially connected Mary and Joseph were. Um, a manger is a feeding trough, most commonly used as a feeding trough, for animals like horses or cows. 
And, uh, and think about this, okay, ancient Israel, and this is true of the ancient Near East in general, was a very hospitable culture, all right? It's very common for people to even to take strangers into their own homes to allow them to sleep there. And so for whatever reason, Joseph and Mary, they went to Bethlehem, which was their, you know, uh, their ancestors' homeland. So they should have relatives there, but for whatever reason, they didn't have any place to stay, and for whatever reason, they couldn't find a place at the inn, and so instead, they had to go sleep in this place with animals putting Jesus in a manger. And so it just shows that Joseph and Mary, they didn't have the, the social connections, they didn't have the, the material resources to find a proper place to stay, and so Jesus clearly was born. The almost like, he's almost the total opposite of Caesar Augustus, born without reputation, reputation recognition, wealth. That was a path that God chose. So we have Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's born. And what does God do? Does he announce to the world that Jesus is born? No. What he does instead was he, he sends some angels to a specific group of people, some shepherds, random shepherds in the middle of nowhere. Now, now think about how strange this is, okay? Again, think of, just take a step back. We're all so familiar with the nativity scene. Okay, we think about shepherds all the time. But just think about how strange this is, okay? Um, when you look at photos of, you know, moms today, okay, they, they give birth to the babies, and you, maybe they're hanging out the mother and baby unit or whatever. Who is typically in these photos? You might have the mom, you might have the baby, you might maybe have medical staff, you might have family, close friends. You don't have random shepherds that you just met. All right, that's not, that's not something that you typically see. So this is very strange, okay? But the nativity scene is filled with strangers, and, uh, and, and it's not just any strangers. It's, I mean, it's one thing to invite wise men from far away, okay, but because these people, they seem like they're people of status or something. Shepherds were actually looked down upon in ancient Jewish culture. Uh, sh shepherds had a reputation of being untrustworthy and unclean. Um, well, the way, the way the industry worked back then is, um, so a lot of people, uh, they would have a lot of sheep, and what they would do is they would hire people, and later actually in um, John chapter 10, Jesus talks about how he's a good shepherd, and he, he contrasts himself with a hired hand who cares nothing for the sheep, because that was the, sort of the reputation of these, of these shepherds, is they would be hired by the people to just watch their sheep, because these sheep, they have to be grazing out in rural areas where the grass were. And so these shepherds, they would just hang out by themselves in the countryside, in rural areas, and sometimes they were washing the sheep for months at a time without contact with the owners. And so many shepherds, they would uh, engage in nefarious activities, and so they would sometimes steal sheep or do stuff with sheep, and uh, owners wouldn't know. And so that was the reputation of shepherds at the time. In fact, people commonly cautioned others to never buy wool, milk, or, or sheep from shepherds because chances are it they were stolen. Okay, so it was almost like, you know, buying stuff at a pawn shop or something. That was sort of the, I, the picture that people had. And on top of being untrustworthy, shepherds were, uh, were ceremonially unclean. You know, there were rules at the time about how you couldn't, you had to uh, abstain from contact with certain animals. But shepherds, they were, because they were sleeping in rural areas, they were constantly running into lizards and mice and bats and things like that. And so people just associated shepherds with also being unclean. 
In fact, one Jewish commentator wrote, there is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. Okay, so a lot of people didn't like shepherds. And here's another thing. This is what I find most fascinating about the shepherds. Oftentimes in Jesus' day, shepherds were the last people to hear the news. Okay, so back then people didn't have phones, didn't have social media. The way you would hear the news is if messengers would come into your town and give you the news. Okay, and so if you lived in a big town, you would hear the news first. If you lived in a small town, you'd hear the news second. If you lived in the middle of nowhere, by the time you heard the news, it was history. All right, so you just didn't... So it's, it's fascinating that shepherds, they just were not up to date on current events. So it's... So think about this. The God of the universe for the first time in human history, shows up in human form, and then he gives this grand announcement, not to the Roman emperor, not to Pilate or Herod or any of these religious leaders living in all these urban areas, but to shepherds, people who typically were the last to hear the news, people whom society looked down upon. You know, that would have, that would have been a day for them to remember. Um, just imagine your whole life, people thought, you know, you were nobody, you didn't have much going on, you know, n- no one ever bothered you to tell you what was going on in, 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 in the current events, and all of a sudden, a choir of angels come, and they sing to you. Um, what a sight that must have been. And, um, and I also wonder, what must the angels have thought? You know, because, you know, in the New Testament, you know, this passage is talking about how the angels long to look into the, the things of salvation, and so they must have been waiting in anticipation for millennia, for Jesus to arrive on the scene. And then they're so excited to tell the world, and then God says, Actually, no, don't tell everybody, just tell this group of shepherds. Just an, and, you know, it must have been, you know, better than any Taylor Swift concert that ever happened, but just the scene of angels singing in unison and just giving their all, they've been waiting thousands of years to, to sing this uh, and to put on this show for the shepherds. Um, and, and this is what they sing. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when we think about the idea of glory, uh, let's think about it in terms of, you know, how a non-Christian may think of this term. You know, when I think about glory, I think about like movies like The Gladiator uh, or in the Roman Empire, you know, glory was associated with big numbers, big displays of wealth, extravagance. Um, excellence, you know, beauty, and, and, you know, you imagine someone, like, filling up a coliseum or something, and there's, like, a big show or a big parade or something like that. Glory, glorious things were mighty feet displayed in front of huge crowds. That's sort of the, the whole purpose behind glory, is you want as many people to see as possible. But Jesus was born quietly, Again, with no recognition, no wealth, and the audience was just a handful of shepherds. So how does that give God glory? You know, when someone like Caesar Augustus is looking for glory, he's going to put up an event for as many people as possible. But God chooses instead to show up just to a handful of shepherds. You see, God isn't primarily concerned about the number of people that he's trying to reach I think he's primarily concerned about what kind of people they are. He's not, so numbers are important to God. He cares about everybody, the whole world. But I think the way God seeks glory is contrasted with the way 
Caesar Augustus see, seeks glory. Caesar Augustus, he seeks glory by doing this census and counting all these people to try to show how big, how vast his empire is. And, Jesus, and God, he's just concerned about just announcing the news to some shepherds who are socially outcasted. You know, the Colosseum can draw a large crowd, you know, but people will go there, they'll be entertained for a day, and then they'll go back to their normal lives. But God is not here just to entertain the masses. He's here to transform people. And so he gives these shepherds a show of a lifetime so that they're never the same, and then that's what gives him glory. He wows them, he awes them, he changes them from the inside out, and that's exactly what happened with these shepherds. Let's keep reading Luke 9. This is starting from verse 15. When the angels had left them, they just finished the song, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So these shepherds, they experience God, and they're so amazed, they're so overwhelmed, they go and tell all these people. They're publicly glorifying and praising God, and uh, their testimony is so powerful that even the people they tell, they are amazed because of what they just heard. And so again, I think this scene gives us a glimpse into the heart of God. He doesn't just want to give people some entertainment. He wants to give people an encounter, an experience that will change them. And it, it, it change them to such an extent that those people then go out and they tell the others. You know, I pray that God would do the same with us, that God would glorify himself through our lives as well. That he wouldn't just entertain us, but he would give us an encounter. Because God gets glory when normal people encounter him and are transformed by him. So transformed that we are willing to share about him with others. Um, he's not just about putting on a show, not just about uh, patting himself on the back, making us feel a little bit good, but he's about making us feel changed and odd so that we would be transformed, so that we'd be shaken out of normalcy, so that we would give him glory. Um, there's an old author named John Phillips. He's British. He once wrote this uh, short fictional story called The Visited Planet. And I first heard this when I was in high school. Uh, it was a pastor who gave it in a, in a Christmas sermon, and it's just always stuck with me. And in this story, um, the author, he's talking about two angels talking to each other. It's fictional, okay? And so one of the angels is a, is a senior angel, and one of these angels is a young angel. I don't even know if that's a thing, but that's, but that's what this story is about, right? And so the senior angel is showing this younger angel all these uh, amazing galaxies and all these amazing things that God has created. And uh, the young angel is just awed about the splendor, you know, the, all, the, the majesty of creation. And then the senior angel shows him this one small, unimpressive planet. And he tells the young angel that once upon a time, the great prince of glory visited this planet. 
And then I'm gonna I'm gonna read this, um, and then it's just a conversation, and then uh, you can just follow along, okay? But how, queried the younger one, do you mean that a great and glorious prince, with all these wonders and splendors of his creation, and millions more that I'm sure I haven't seen yet, went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why should he do a thing like that? It isn't for us said his senior a little stiffly to question his wise, except that I must point out to you that he is not impressed by size and numbers as you seem to be, but that he really went, I know, and all of us in heaven who know anything know that. As to why he became one of them, how else do you suppose could he visit them? The little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me, he said, that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures of that floating ball? I do. And I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. Um, it's such a bewildering thing to think about. That Jesus, the great Prince of Glory, stooped so low to become just like one of these creeping, crawling creatures on this fifth-rate ball. Why would he do something like that? Because the good news is for the creeping, crawling creature. Because God's heart is for the creeping, crawling creature. Because when the creeping, crawling creature is transformed, they experience God, they encounter God, they're transformed. That's how God gets glory. And so from the start of creation to the dawn of Christmas to now, that's been God's agenda. He's just showing up here on earth, in various ways and forms. And the climax was Christmas, when Jesus came as the human baby, with no show, no parade, no feast, but this one little scene where the angels, they wanted to give all they had to announce the birth of Jesus to some shepherds. And, uh, and those shepherds told some people, and those shepherds told some people, and later Jesus grew up, and he continued to collect shepherd-like people, fishermen and tax collectors and just people who just didn't have much in this world. But those people told some people, and those people told some people, and in many generations today, we've received the good news as well. And I think the, I think the, uh, the original call to the shepherds and the original response to the shepherds, we ought to emulate as well that when we encounter Jesus, when we encounter the glory of salvation, we should be transformed as well, and we should pass that along as well. Let's always remember that, uh, especially this week during the time of Christmas, that Jesus came down to us in humility in order to lift us up to glory. That's what Christmas is all about. Let's pray together as we close. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this message. Uh, of the incarnation and Jesus becoming flesh, just becoming just like one of us. Um, just ordinary, normal, broken, uh, with everyday problems. You know, we have broken dishwashers and we have flat tires and we have a lot of earwax in our ears. We just have all these random problems and these. And you come to be just like us. And, um, and you love us. 
God, I pray that this message would transform us uh, from the inside out, that we wouldn't just uh, go to these Christian events just to be entertained, just to feel a little bit good about ourselves and then go back to normal lives, but we would be different. And I pray that this heart that you have, this heart of humility, that we would emulate that as well. That during this time of Christmas, let us not only seek how we make our lives more comfortable, our lives more wonderful, but help us to also consider how we can give of ourselves, how we can empty ourselves, how we can become like the least of these to serve those who are in need. We thank you for Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.